This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello. And welcome to a Monday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. On the line right now, Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons. Aaron, good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? Are you are you just jumping for joy after the Falcons have won two straight to get to three and seven and tie the Bucks in the bottom of the NFC South cellar? Or are you concerned because you wanted a better pick and you wanted to clean house? Where are you at right now with the state of the Atlanta Falcons? Look, I, I learned a long time ago, Chase, to not have expectations, to not have goals when it comes to this Atlanta Falcons team, because whatever you <laughs> want to happen will not happen, mm. whether it's winning a Super Bowl or whether it's tanking to get the number one pick. It, they're just going to do the opposite of whatever you plan. So I've learned over the years to go with the flow. What has been the biggest change? What have you seen post by um, that has just they flipped the script because I feel like the obvious answer is that they have a pass rush again. And it turns out um, having a very strong pass rush in back-to-back weeks um, can lead to victories. Uh, It's crazy how that works. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I I think it's three variables for this Falcon team, um, particularly when you compare what they were doing during that six game stretch when they were losing every week. Um, I think, you know, the first thing is that they're giving up less big plays on defense they had a lot of issues with poor communication and mental errors on the back end in their secondary in these last couple of games. And this goes back before the bye. They were they did a better job at, at not giving up big plays. I think the big change, though, as you mentioned, for their defense has been getting better play up front. Their pass rush has really turned it on these last couple of weeks. It's been spearheaded by guys like Adrian Claiborne and Grady Jarrett. You even saw Tack McKinley and, and Vic Beasley getting in the mix. Alan Bailey, who's been mostly a run-stuffer, for this team this season, you know, the last couple of weeks has really made some positive plays as a pass rusher. So I think really sort of the big change for them defensively was getting their pass rush on front. And now they're being able to get it off the field on third downs and, and get stops in critical situations. And I think the third thing that isn't going to get as much publicity is their offense has been a little bit better. And I think that's helped their defense in a lot of ways because they've been playing with leads um, these last couple of weeks. They're not big, massive leads. They're not this offensive juggernaut but they're getting off to better starts and that allows, you know, their opponents to play from behind. That's forcing their opponents to throw the ball. I think both Drew Brees and Kyle Allen threw the ball 50 uh, plus times the last couple of games. And that's helping out their pass rush to be able to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. And that was something that they really haven't had for most of the season. They've been basically in a team that's been struggling in the first halves of games. A lot of those games, during that six-game losing streak, they were struggling to get three and seven points. 
they were struggling to get the double digits, uh, not only through the first, you know, two quarters, but throughout the first four quarters. So I think it's really been those three factors that have really sort of allowed this team to start playing better football and start to win some games. I'm all in on Brian Hill. All in. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I, um... Were you disappointed with his fantasy output on Sunday? No, I don't care. I don't play fantasy. Oh. I gave up on that years ago, oh. and it's amazing. If you're still doing it, oh. I'm telling you, you will feel so much better. There is nothing more annoying than watching a Falcons game against a team that you have one or two guys on your fantasy team on that team, and you want them to do well, but also to lose the game. Like it's just, it's not good. I think it's bad for our minds. I like, I, I'm very um, nervous and kind of um, uneasy with the just the development of gambling and professional sports and really just sports in general, but also fantasy and the way it it's just changing and uh, reshifting our brains to look at these games each week. And NFL red zone, another one that I don't traditionally enjoy uh, watching and just getting a, a slanted um, perspective that um, I'm not, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox, but those are my big three. So no, I don't care that Brian Hill <laughs> did not have the best fantasy output. Because, like, what, Quadri Allison had that one-yard touchdown run um, <laughs> yesterday and stuff like that? I, I, I don't give a shit. Like, I care that, like, Brian Hill is actually uh, has a pulse and um, can do stuff uh, for this team because Devontae Freeman has not been doing stuff for this team for years. And um, part of its injuries and part of it's that Kyle Shanahan is just not on this team anymore. It's not a part of this uh, coaching staff anymore. Um but uh, I also think we need to give some credit to Jake Matthews, who played really well yesterday. Um, he's grading well after a rocky start to the season. Alex Mack had been grading a little bit uh, less than ideal to start the season, but he's been getting better. I, I do think the offensive line has improved in the last two weeks, too. And um, giving Matt Ryan more time uh, is always good because then you have guys like Calvin Ridley who can beat their guy off the off um, the break. And it's just it's pretty cool because Calvin Ridley had a couple of nice plays yesterday that... Um, He's he's good, folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you there. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, the other thing too is you mentioned this on the defense. Um, Olbrich is calling first and second down, and you have Raheem Morris, who's back coaching secondary, where he's got a lot of experience already in that role, and he's calling third downs. Um, but Isaiah Oliver kind of uh, just he poured some water on the idea that the Falcons change has been more about um Dan Quinn giving up play calling duties post by and he's like nope we're running the same scheme same stuff it's just it's just working that's all he basically said it's like we're doing the exact same stuff we were doing before the buy it's just actually working this time mm-hmm. yeah I, I think that's been the case that's you know I think coaching has impacted but I don't know if it's sort of as impactful as maybe you know the the narrative suggested is it's just like they're just doing a better job executing the the same plays that they've been calling for the last couple of weeks now. Um, and, you know, Jeff Olberg started taking over play calling in like week six at halftime. And basically since then, they've been running a lot more man coverage. The last couple of weeks, they've run a lot more sort of zone, cover two zone rather than their usual cover three zone. So, you know, that's had an impact, but I don't feel like that alone is like the reason why their defensive play calling is like light years better than it was before it's it's an improvement but it's not as if like the falcons are doing something drastically different than what they have been doing all year long it's just as you said been working more uh lately and i think a lot of that is to the, the pass rush up front allowing that stuff to work 
if you had to bet on one uh, defensive lineman to um, just be someone Falcons fans talk about and love and wish could play forever, um, is it John Abraham or is it Adrian Claiborne? Hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, I I don't think anybody can knock John Abraham off of his pedestal off of the sort of being the solo guy on the Mount Rushmore. I, I would probably bet if anybody, if you pull Falcons it, fans right now, I guarantee the majority would say that he would give more of a defensive output at this point in his life, more than Vic Beasley has this season. Technically he just got his oh, first I, second I, of this. Yeah. <laughs> 100% Falcons fans would say that 100%. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like John Abraham has a very special place in the hearts of Falcon fans because he was played so well for so long for this team. Uh, that it's going to be really hard. I, I would think if anybody was going to come close, at least not to knock him off that pedestal, but at least join him on that Mount Rushmore, it's more likely to be Grady Jarrett than Adrian Claiborne, just because I mm. think obviously Jarrett has a little bit more longevity ahead of him. And we know Claiborne's towards the end of his careers. So even if he, you know, even if he finishes the season strongly, uh, you know, you don't know how many more years he has left and Grady Jarrett presumably probably has four or five more, you know, prime, years left of his career so i feel like he has a chance to sort of do that but you know right now clearly i think john abraham is so far ahead of the pack that it's it's not really a conversation at this point no but i do appreciate adrian claiborne being the model of consistency like he should have never left absolutely Claiborne is 100 agree yeah 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 i love those unsung heroes those guys that are just solid every year and do just enough i i like it um I just, it's interesting now the Falcons are three and seven, um, what the rest of this year looks like. Cause now Falcons fans are talking to themselves in the playoffs. And I don't know if you've, um, poured any uh, cold water on Falcons fans over this, but like, uh, I got some bad news. This is not the AFC where mm-hmm. it, did you see that the NFL playoff machine on ESPN is, is live? No, I did not see that. Usually. I, okay, okay. So I, I spent, I spent a lot of time on that and it's very embarrassing. It's very nerdy, but I love going through it i did it 10 times last night with some slight adjustments nine to ten times the oakland raiders made the playoffs for me like they have a very okay. easy schedule down the street like <laughs> if you were to tell me at this point the, who the falcons are at, in week 11 versus who the raiders are in week 11 i would say the falcons are a better team um mm-hmm. and that might piss off some raiders fans but like i just i think if you put on a neutral site vegas would actually favor the, the falcons um but they're they're not in the afc they're in a conference where uh, football outsiders had this number, which I thought was fascinating, where there are five teams right now um, in the NFC with eight plus wins. Five. This is like the first time ever in this era that there's that many top heavy just juggernauts in the NFC. The Falcons are not making the playoffs. It's just too, too tough. Like there are just too many big namers. The Vikings survived yesterday. The Seahawks are going to keep rolling. The Niners are rolling. The Packers are rolling. The Cowboys came back and Dak's playing an MVP level. Carson did what he could yesterday, but like there is no avenue towards the Falcons getting into the playoffs. Like nine and seven is not getting in, in the NFC. It's just not. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny how sort of bipolar people can be on, on particularly these issues. Like, you know, like three weeks ago, I was getting into arguments with people that were like adamant that the Falcons had to fire Dan Quinn before the bye week. And the fact that they weren't going to fire him is this terrible, you know, horrible decision. 
Um, and now it's like, well, could he keep his job if the Falcons run the table? Could the team make the playoffs? It's, it's one of those things where you just sort of, that's just how, you know, fans can be at times. Um, but it is one of those things with the whole playoff conversation. It is, you know, pretty much, uh, off the table. Like I'm sure like mathematically they have more than a 0% chance, but it's like a 0.1% chance, you know, like that sort of thing where basically every team in the NFC would have to just basically lose every game from like here on out for them to have a chance to even get into the playoffs as a six seed, not only in addition to them having to win every game from here on out. So like the, the mathematics on it are so improbable that even entertaining it for once, uh, it's kind of silly at this point, really what the Falcons are doing, you know, for the next, you know, six weeks is just basically playing spoiler for other teams, playoff hopes, trying to, you know, win some games against some teams that like uh, San Francisco and new Orleans. And, and then again, this Sunday against Carolina and ruining other people's playoff hopes and then changing the seating around with, with certain teams and whatnot. That's really what they're doing in, in terms of their own playoff chances. It's non-existent. And I wonder how long that holds up. Like, do these guys get amped up for the rest of the season just playing spoiler? Is that a real thing for these guys? Where they're like, are they playing for contracts or what are they? They're playing for just their roster spot next year. Um, I'm sure Quinn and these guys like are. Hey, they have a more of a reason uh, than the players to keep uh, keep grinding and keep getting these wins out so he can keep his job. Um, where are you right now with Quinn and this coaching staff and even like Dimitrov and like Scott Peeler leaving before the season, which was a big thing that we've all forgotten about. Um, where, what would you like to see happen um, this off season for the Falcons? And I guess it depends on how the rest of the season unfolds, but um, as of right now, what is, what is your gut telling you that the Falcons should do? Well, you know, I'll first, some prefaces by saying like i don't necessarily have a horse in the race like this is not necessarily my preference on what i think should happen or um could happen but it's just more like what i think will happen um but i i think dan quinn even if he does run the table is, is not going to keep his job i think basically okay. next six weeks are him just you know going out on his own terms and and showing that he was not going to go down without a fight you know um, I, I, I can't see a scenario where Arthur Blank is going to basically look at this team and say, you know what, let's run this back again, uh, given how you know rough they looked a couple of weeks ago. So I feel like Quinn is out. The, to me, the real question that I don't necessarily have a strong answer on at this point in time is whether or not Dimitrov is out. I think you know, the last couple of weeks I've been leaning that he is likely out, but given this team's resurgence, if they do finish as strong as maybe a lot of people hope they can, and if they can get back to seven or eight wins this season in, in some magical fashion, then I do think there's a much better pathway for potentially Dimitrov to keep his job and to not necessarily gain back power over personnel because he didn't really have that with Dan Quinn here these last couple of years, but at least be involved in the coaching search to at least help about Arthur Blank and interview some of these coaches and, and see basically if Blank can hire somebody that is going to be willing to work with him. You know, again, just throwing out a name, not suggesting that this is the guy that they should or, or will hire, but like, you know, someone like a Josh McDaniels, if they go after him, I could see him because of that shared Patriots uh, past asked that he could basically be like, yeah, I'll, I'm willing to work with Thomas Dimitrov as my, as my GM moving forward. But I kind of think, you know, Dimitrov's ability to stick here may 
entirely depend on who the Falcons hire as their next head coach and whether that head coach is willing to work with him it's sort of, or wants to sort of handpick his own GM or Arthur Blank is looking in another direction. So I think you're right. I think a lot of it does depend on how the rest of the season plays off. It's still kind of fluid, but I do think, you know, barring, you know, I won't sit here and say that there's a 0% chance that Dan Quinn keeps his job, but it would be, you know, to me it's in the single digits uh, in terms of the, the odds of that happening. So I feel like he's probably, if not definitely out by the end of the year, Dimitrov status is a little bit up in the air. Yeah, I, um, I think that's probably what's happening. I think Dimitrov keeps his job. I think that dude's got like a career job at this point. Like he's survived multiple <laughs> administrations. He might, I think he's got like a permanent place somewhere in that front office. He's in like that Rich McKay mold where it's just mm-hmm. like he's got a job for life. I think there is some loyalty there that um, I would be surprised if he ever left. Like, I think Pioli could have been there for as long as he wanted, and he left voluntarily. Like, I think um, Blank's a very loyal dude, and I I don't see him just doing, like, a just a full-on teardown. I, I don't see that. Um, but I think, ultimately, it's going to be interesting for me to see whether or not they go, like, oh, do we need to hire a proven winner to get back and go get Mike McCarthy or whoever who has done the trail? This is like the new thing for coaches who got fired and have been around for a long time, had success, and it they've got the narrative around them that the game has passed them by and that they're too old school. So then they just go to every training camp and like their publicists make sure that um, reporters and everybody knows that they're uh, watching the Sean McVay from afar and really taking notes on what the the modern NFL and modern offenses are doing and that when they get back into coaching, they're not going to be who they were um, previously. I, I love that thing. So McCarthy's going to be pushing that hardcore. I, I don't want Mike McCarthy here. Um, I don't know who the right answer is at this point. Um, I would go offensive just because it's an offensive driven league. And also defenses are uh, much more likely to fluctuate unless you have like a Mike Zimmer type. Um, It's just very hard to keep an elite defense year over year, but it's really easy to keep an elite defense or elite offense year over year. If you have a good offensive line and uh, a good quarterback, if you have a franchise guy and the Falcons have a franchise guy and they've invested a lot in their offensive line. So it will see uh, what that looks like in a year or two, but um Jim Harbaugh would be interesting to me I I would not hate that I'm sure Falcons fans would be kind of uneasy but I would not hate something like that at all um I don't know we'll have to see uh can we get Kyle Shanahan back that'd be great miss him (laughs) miss Matt LaFleur who they could have kept um let him go to like it just that'd be nice what I I think Mm -hmm. at this point we can admit that uh the wrong guy left folks yeah I think that's, yeah, I think history shows us that that's probably true. Yeah. It's probably I don't know. true. I, I can't get started on my Shanahan rant. It's going <laughs> to, I think it might upset more people than my Luca and Trey stuff that I do from time to time because oh, that will no. never not bother me. Um, Lamar, has he locked up? He's winning game after game. He outdueled Deshaun Watson yesterday in, um, unfortunately, a very, lopsided affair i wish that was on sunday night that was like i wish we could have flexed that out because the sunday night mm-hmm. game was um trubisky should not be allowed on sunday night television ever again um has he locked it up the mvp to you is is this a done deal is lamar jackson the mvp of the nfl this year i i would say he's probably at this point the front runner but i, I don't feel like i just remember a couple of years ago like carson Wentz was the front runner and then he got hurt and Tom Brady wound up winning the MVP. And I know other people may have different 
opinions whether Wentz was going to win it in the end and whatnot. But I feel like he was likely going to win it that year until he got injured. So it's not to suggest that Lamar is going to get hurt. I just feel it's still a little early for me in, in that sort of lesson. It's just like, okay, let you know, maybe we should give it a, a couple more weeks. So I, I think it's between him and Russell Wilson right now. They're the two front runners. I would say that Lamar is probably the safer bet between the two. But I feel like Lamar is an interesting case because, like, you know, he had the monster game in week one, and then he's really played extremely well and put up some great numbers the last couple of weeks. But there was, a you know, five or six weeks in between those points where, you know, it wasn't like he was playing poorly or anything, but he wasn't necessarily, like, at the front of any MVP conversations. Most of those conversations were surrounding other players around the league. So I feel like with, you know, six games left to go, there's no guarantee that this sort of run that he's been on as of the last couple of games is guaranteed to continue the rest of the season. And, you know, Russell Wilson has been in my eyes, like a little bit steadier week to week in that regard. So if he continues to maintain that and maybe Lamar goes into a little bit of a lull over the next month or so, then I could definitely see Russell Wilson, you know, sort of leapfrogging him in a couple of weeks. So I feel like Lamar's the front runner. He's the safer bet right now, but it's one of those questions that I would feel like in two or three weeks, I might have a different answer to that. Do you think his play style is um, going to be something that lasts year over year? I like the fact that his completion percentage is 67.6% in this six game win streak. Um, he's passing the ball a bunch. He runs when he has to, but he doesn't take the bad hits like Russell Wilson. Like there are a lot of parallels there. Um, obviously, he's a better athlete and more explosive, but Wilson's built bigger, so he can take more of those kind of hits. Um, but also, Greg Roman's offense versus Brian Schottenheimer's offense, a little different, I would say. One a little yeah. bit more innovative than the other. Uh, Brian Schottenheimer, I was talking to PFF's Austin Gale about this a couple weeks ago, where it's like Wilson's having an MVP type season. And he is still being restricted by what Brian Schottenheimer in that offense in Seattle does week to week is it's almost like a better reason to give Wilson an MVP is that he's still just so damn good in spite of what Schottenheimer's rolling out um, for him in Seattle. I think that's pretty mm-hmm. fascinating. And like what Wilson would look like in a Greg Roman Baltimore offense would we be fawning over him the way that we're fawning over Lamar right now. I mean, he wouldn't have those kind of runs where like yesterday where he's bouncing off dude, the spin moves, all that kind of stuff. It's like, he's just not that fleet of foot. Um, I, I don't know. I think the conversation is interesting between those two. I think it would be hard for anyone to sway me on Lamar over Russell Wilson at any point like if you had to choose who would you start your team around um i'm picking russell wilson every single time but you this is not that kind of award it's like who is the most valuable player to their team this year and i think the most valuable player to their team this year is clearly um lamar jackson just what he is and what they're doing and beating the pats beating um he beat russell wilson he beat deshaun watson like I, I think the, the case is there. It just feels like a Patrick Mahomesy type season where he's just he's the guy we all remember. We remember Pat Mahomes last year. We're gonna remember Lamar Jackson's season this year. And unfortunately, that means it probably ends the same with the Pats beating him in the AFC championship game <laughs> and uh them getting close but not right not not all the way there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, you know, to to go back to what you sort of originally asked with whether his playing style is sustainable i think it's you know i don't know if it, you know 
know, he's going to be rushing for a thousand. Like he's on pace to have like a thousand over a thousand yards rushing this year. Like I don't see him doing that forever, but certainly while he's young and, and the team can do that, like by all means, you know, get him involved. And it's not again. You're right. It's not as if he's you know, running it a million times each week. There's been a couple of games where, he, you know, he's getting 15-plus, uh, you know, carries and scrambles and whatnot, but it's not necessarily something that their offense is entirely predicated on. It's just like when the opportunities are there, he takes advantage of those opportunities, and we've seen him take plenty of advantage of those opportunities. So I feel like it's it's one of those things where there's certainly no – major cause for concern that, oh, like, this is not sustainable. I mean, it's it's no more or less sustainable than pretty much any quarterback in the league putting up, you know, MVP type of numbers. You don't see that typically back-to-back years. I mean, that's the funny thing about Mahomes is, like, he's in the middle of another sort of ridiculously productive season, uh, but he's not going to get as much love for it because the Chiefs aren't as good. And the fact is that, you know, he got hurt this year, so he He's gone a little bit, you know, under the radar to a certain extent, but you don't see that in this league where a guy goes out there and and has this ridiculous MVP type of year, year in and year out, with the exception of, you know, maybe a Peyton Manning or a, a couple of those Tom Brady years in his prime. Um, but, it, you know, for the most part, you don't see that in this league. So it's one of those things where people will, I think, be critical of Lamar and, and what he's done this season as if like, oh, well, you can't do it again. And it's like, yeah, no one plays at an MVP level, you know, every single season. So it's one of those things where I think you're right, where we can uh, definitely appreciate what he's doing this season. And it's it's definitely going to probably, certainly at this point in time, feels like the thing that we're going to remember the most from the season. You remember, you know, those games where Lamar was just torching teams through the air and on the ground as well. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Um. I mentioned this a little bit already, but the Raiders have a very good path um, to the playoffs, which I are two AFC wildcard teams. I, I can't shake it. I, this is what works to me. You go through the schedules, you look at it and you're like, Oh, this, this is how this is going. The bills and the Raiders are going to be the wildcard teams in the AFC and the wildcard teams in the NFC both have a very strong chance of going 11 and five, the Vikings and the Seahawks minimum, the, di- this, the disparity between the two wildcard teams of each conference is insane. Do you like, do you think the Raiders and the bills are good? Have you watched, how much have you watched of those two teams this year? Like, do you get the sense that like they're playoff worthy teams? They're one of the six best teams in their conference. I mean, yeah, you, you, you kind of have to grade this thing on the curve. I feel like Buffalo, has a little juice largely due to their defense being good. You know, I, I know it's not as if they're, you know, playing these offensive juggernauts this season, so they're getting a little bit of a boost from that. Um, but it is one of those things where I feel like, you know, you can, con- like, I'm not going to sit here and say Buffalo's a great team, but like you can convince me that given their soft schedule, that their defense is, is more than good enough to get that team to like nine wins or, or whatever the case may be where they finish at the season. So I, I feel like Buffalo is not as much a fraud as maybe the Raiders are. I mean, like I was like a couple of weeks ago when they played the Chargers, like, yeah, the Raiders, you know, they're not sexy, but they're solid. And then this past week where they kind of barely beat the Bengals, who are the worst team in football, I'm like, okay, well, maybe we I can pump the brakes a little bit on, on buying on the Raiders. And you're right, it, it does seem like those are the two teams – 
that maybe mathematically have maybe the best shot. I'm still hopeful that both Houston and Indianapolis are going to make it. One of the, one of those teams gonna... having to play each other. That <laughs> division is eating itself. That's the thing is like they're going to cannibalize themselves. Well, I'm just I'm hoping that you know whoever wins that division. And right now, I feel like Houston just because uh, I, maybe I just want Houston to win that division. Um, so you nobody know, wants can... to watch Colts versus Bills in a four or five seed matchup. Yeah, Jacoby Brissett in that offense versus Josh Allen. Good God, no, thank you. Yeah, so I feel like you know the loser of that Houston or Indianapolis should be the other wild card team, and hopefully they can keep the Raiders out. But you're right, the Raiders have such you know basically they play Kansas City and and the Chargers, and we know the Chargers aren't that very good. Well, they have the Bengals um, this really... week. They go to the Jets next week, so they're six and four. Probably going to be seven and four after next week. And then they get um, at KC, probably lost, so seven and five. Um, Titans at home, that feel, you got to feel good about that. Eight and five. Um, Jaguars at home, not liking what I saw from Nick Foles this week. Didn't look great. They benched their offensive, their left tackle mid game, Cam Robinson. So that's not really working out all that well. Nine and five right there at Saint at Los Angeles. Excuse me, Rivers might be shut down at that point. Anthony Lynn might be fired. Like they could be four and seven after today, um, after night against the Chiefs. Like we don't know what that's going to look like. Doesn't look great. Um, so that's ten wins. That's ten wins. And they go to Broncos. They could be like there is an easy path to eleven and five for the Oakland Raiders right now. Yeah, I think you're right. And this it sucks, the- man. I, I don't <laughs> want this. I <laughs> well, I you know, if the Raiders make the playoffs, I know I'm going to make some money in that first round of the playoffs, betting on the team that plays them. So I, I and feel... Bills. I'm betting every... You bet everything against the Raiders and the Bills in round one. Yeah. So that's the only positive. That's the only upside to those teams making the playoffs. Uh, just easy money makers. Oh, my but, God. you know, I know you're, you're, you're not a fan of gambling. Uh, so, no, I'm you not. Know, so you you won't get the benefit of that like I will. So I... <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, another podcast, another time. I will sway you, um, Aaron. Now I know where we stand. I will do my very best in the future to um, to sway you my way. I promise. It's, okay. it's better. Every I, it's I'm with higher. you. I'm with you on the fantasy stuff. I'm like I'm I'm about maybe one or two years away from joining you on the fantasy. That's what they all stuff. say. <laughs> Yeah. One or two yeah. more years, then I cash out. I promise. I'm done. <laughs> no, and then it's five years later. There was a yeah. guy who came in um, that I, I met over the weekend. He told me, like, he casually was watching this game, and he goes, yeah, I used to have Emmett Smith on my fantasy team. And I looked at him, and I was like, what would you say? And it was like, yeah, Emmett Smith I had. And he was, like, recounting all these, like, mid-'90s running backs. And I was like, "Have you was fantasy football even around then? Like, I didn't even know that. And... He was like, "Yeah, I've been playing. Like, he has been playing for twenty five years." Yeah, I I played in the nineties. I remember when I I so got out. Existed. Like, I got out like for like five years because I was so mad. I had Kurt Warner <laughs> on my team mm-hmm. like the summer. I he drafted said he had him. Kurt Warner. Yeah, like I had him when Trent Green got hurt, and I was like, oh, man, "You know, this Kurt Warner guy, he's not going to do anything." And so I cut him, and he wound up you know, being the MVP that year and the Rams won the Super Bowl. And I was just like, I was so pissed off about it that I was just like, I, I gave up on fantasy. And I, I gave, I literally gave up on her for like 
five or six years after that, and then eventually got convinced to to start playing again. And, Interesting. Um, but it was things where it was it was it was it was tough. It was a tough uh, ride for me. All right. Well, make this year your last year, and you'll be happier for it. I promise. <laughs> okay. I promise. All right. Um, who do you have? So, like, your go. We talked about this a little bit too, but it's in my notes. It was just like the AFC South. How do you think it ultimately unfolds? Who gets that division winner? Because like the Titans are the most mercurial, I think for sure. Week to week, we have no idea. Like one week, they might beat a really good team, beat their brains, and one they're going to lose at home to a dumb team. Like. I I have no idea what to make of that team, but I think the Titans as a whole, like if you look at the, just the roster in general, I think they have the best roster in the AFC South. Like top to bottom, they should be if their quarterback situation wasn't as just ugh, as it is. But I mean, they've gotten goose eggs from Deion Lewis, who I always liked, and Derrick Henry's been really good for them, but their offensive line should be good, but it's struggled. Like they have a lot of talent there, and they've invested a lot of resources to the receivers and Corey Davis, AJ Brown, guy after guy after guy um delaney walker's been here which hasn't been great but they've had a good backup tight end who's actually done well for them um they have pass rushers they have guys in the secondary like they actually should be the best team in that division i think just by their roster but their their quarterback is just it's just been a problem um and then you think about the texans you saw what happened yesterday and i, I don't trust that defense and i don't trust that offensive line where deshaun watson is running for his life every play but then again it's deshaun watson and he's just you it's ridiculous and you kind of have to throw a lot of shit out the window when you're talking about the texans because it, it just shouldn't work um and then you look at the jags and you're like well is that who nick Foles is is that is he not going to make the big time throws because he doesn't have time because uh, on a multitude of reads yesterday he didn't have time to get to his downfield guides because guess what cam robinson was blocking for him and that's not good and that offensive line's not getting any better. But then again, you're like, oh, I love TJ Chark. And then you think about Yannick Ngakwe and the town on that defense that's still just really good, and they weren't terrible yesterday. And you're like, well, if Nick Foles, we've seen it before, he gets hot. They could do it. Um, there's still a lot of talent on that Jaguars team. And then you go to the Colts, and you're like, well, when Jacoby Brissett's playing and not Brian Hoyer and imploding the team, then they're pretty slow and steady, and they're fine. And then you have Marlon Mack, who breaks his hand. You're like, well, if they could stay healthy, maybe. And then you look at their defense, and their defense gets a lot of pressure. They're, they have one of the best offensive lines in football and you're just like all these teams you can make the case and just i just throw my hands up because i'm like i would not be surprised if any of these four teams won the afc south this year i i'm gonna go with the texans because they have the best quarterback and it seems like a good thing to always do is just bet on the best quarterback in the division but like i don't feel great about it i don't feel Mm -hmm. great that the texans are gonna win this division like i I don't at all yeah i'm with you on that like I think if the Texans are going to win, they got they got they have to beat the Colts this Thursday. They have to, and if they lose that game, then it, you know it's back at I guess you give the edge to the Colts, but you're you know Tennessee with their defense and you know Tannehill's actually played pretty well these last couple of games, um, and and made that offense competent. And so are they going to get hot and you know actually you know throw a wrench into the the Raiders playoff plans and, and some of these other teams down the stretch. So. I'm with you on that. You know, this certainly is a division that I'm 100% certain is going to come down to, you know, whoever wins a week 17 game, winning your sort of in win and you win the division type of game. And I know the Colts have the Jags that final week. Uh, the, the, the Texans are, are facing off against the Titans. So, uh, you know, in that case, maybe then the Colts have the easiest pass because just because the Jaguars are right now looking like the weakest of the group, but you're right. It's it's one of those things where 
we're just, it's going to be week to week where I think we're just going to have to keep an eye on this division and be like, I, I don't know who's going to win it. And, you know, ask me again a week from now. And then a week passes and you're like, ask me again next week. I have no idea. It's going to change every single week. Yeah. Who the fuck knows? The NFL is yeah. weird. And the FC South is just extremely bizarre and extremely weird. Um, yeah. What are you looking for tonight in uh, Chargers Chiefs? We've kind of forgotten about the Chiefs. I'm glad we're going to get them on primetime and we're getting Mahomes because we were, we were, was it, who was, Matt Moore? Was it Roger? Oh, yeah, it was Sunday night with Rogers versus Mahomes. And we got Moore versus Rogers, right? My, that was a couple of Sunday nights ago, right? Yeah. I yeah. want to say. Yeah, and that's, I miss Mahomes in primetime. That where my focus can just be on Patrick Mahomes doing crazy stuff. Like Tyreek Hill, I think it was last week, had like 20 targets or something like that. Like I just, I love the way that the Chiefs play where they just, they target their two dudes over and over again. Oh, you can't stop this? Guess what? We're going to do it again. Um, I appreciate that playing style. So I'm interested to see like what the Chargers can do. And like the fall of the Chargers, obviously just, it bums me out as team Chargers for the last couple of years and just keep waiting for them to break out. It, it hurts my heart that uh, it's not going to happen this year. Not having Darwin James obviously was a big factor this year, but Bose has been good still. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be an interesting game. What are you looking for tonight in Chargers Chiefs? I, you know, it's an interesting storyline that I've heard some people talk about is the, the altitude. Um, so mm. the in Mexico City is, uh, and it's like, I don't know. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So it's like 2000, I think I saw there's like 2000 feet high in what mile high is. Um, so like, I'm curious about that. And like, I, I read somewhere that the chiefs didn't like the chargers, I think practiced all week in, in Colorado to get used to the altitude and chiefs just didn't. So I do wonder if, you know, Booger and, and, and all those guys on Monday night are, like, you know, spending the entirety of the show. Like, oh, the altitude is getting to one team versus the other. And seemingly, because the Chiefs aren't necessarily as seemingly prepared for it, or went out of the way to prepare for it, you would wonder if it's going to affect them. And maybe they'll run out a little bit of gas and you'll get maybe some of that Chargers, you know, fourth quarter uh, Philip Rivers, you know, throwing three touchdowns or, or whatever the case may be to, to get them back into it. So I am curious if that has an effect on this game or if not, if, cause if it, you know, if it was played, you know, in the U S regardless, I think I would go into this game completely expecting the chiefs to roll over the chargers, but maybe that's a little bit of an equalizer, particularly if that does, you know, if the chargers are a little bit more better prepared for it. Hmm. Would you rather the Chargers move to Mexico City or London? I I'm gonna go with London. That to me is a little mm. more interesting. Like probably logistically, Mexico City makes a lot more sense. But like London is the more compelling thing to me than Mexico City. Like you know, like I mean, the fact that like. I completely forgot that in, until like yesterday that there was a game in Mexico City this year. It tells you kind of how no one really well, cares wasn't there, about. Like, a huge screw up. La- was it last year or two years ago? Where like the field yeah. was like just a dumpster fire and they had to move. Yeah, it. Oh, was that last, I think it was year, last or two year? years ago? I think it was okay. last year. So I guess so it's, it's good one of those, now. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's one of those things where it's like you know it's all well and good, but like. I don't think anybody cares if football is being played in Mexico, you know, like there's no buzz for a Mexico game. Like there is at least for London. Cause we've been talking about London, you know, for several years now and talking about, you know, what would happen if a team 
you know, played in London, if you, you know, what, how that logistic worked out. So like, I can wrap my head around that more so than, than necessarily Mexico. It's probably not as big a hurdle playing in Mexico, but like for me, it's one of those things like I, I, I don't have any interest in seeing a Mexico City team or anything like that. Hmm. I'd probably go Mexico over in London. I don't want the time zone. I don't want all these early London games. I don't want that to be a thing every week. And I feel like that might end up messing with teams more messing with how seasons go, just like the London week and all that kind of stuff. Honestly, I would rather the London stuff just drop because it screws over um, several teams a year where they lose a, a home game and all that kind of stuff. It's I, I yeah. don't like any of it. Yeah, the Falcons are losing a home game next year. Oh, that's right. Who are we playing in London next year? I have no idea. I just, I just know. know yeah, has it game. been released? Or are we just? Uh, I, yeah, do we just know? This? I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know yet. Mm. Well, that's lame. Um, don't love that. But then again, it's not like I was going to the dome anyway. <laughs> have you been to the new Mercedes Benz yet? I have not. I have not. I was planning on going this season, and the team was bad. And I was like, you know what? Well, I think I'll save my money. Um, but <laughs> now they're good again, so I'm like, maybe I should spend that money. I don't know. So I, I still haven't decided yet but we'll see. Um, last thing, and then we'll wrap up here. Uh, week 12, what matchups? We talked about the Thursday night game. That's a huge one with uh, Colts, uh, Texans. Um, what games uh, the Falcons can get out of the, the bottom with the Bucks at home, get to four and seven and put the Bucks at three and eight. And uh, good God, Jameis, four picks really uh, like just an, another implosion um, in Tampa. Just really sad. Um what games are you looking forward to um, in week 12? What, what's interesting? What stands out? Well, you know, first and foremost with the Falcons, Jameis Winston historically has ripped through this defense over the years. Yeah. He looks like an MVP candidate. So if this defense, you know, these last two weeks, if it's for real, they'll be able to actually make Jameis Winston look like the Jameis Winston that he looks like against the other 31 teams in this league where he's just pretty ordinary and throwing picks left and right. So I am curious to see if this defense is quote unquote for real, if they can stop the, their arch nemesis by the name of Jameis Winston. Um, For me, the other games, you know, talked about the Colts Texans, obviously that has, you know, playoff implications. I'm also curious about the Seattle uh, going against Philly next week. Um, you know, Philly has been basically just limping along the season. And I'm just like, they were, you know, in full disclosure, they were my Super Bowl pick going into the year. That looks like a terrible pick at this point in time. But I'm just, just like, at least allow me to save some face by making the playoffs. So you got to make a run in this division. And so they kind of need to beat Seattle next week. But I don't know. So if, if Philly's going to get their act together, it kind of needs to start on uh, this upcoming Sunday. And then the, the other game. Uh, also has, you know, playoff seating implications. That's Green Bay, San Francisco. I feel like San Francisco, I'm not going to say they're frauds because I think they're a good team. They have a great defense this year. But, like, I don't know if this team is, like, for real. That I think people were hyping them up as, like, this Super Bowl team until they play some actual real NFL teams, and they haven't really done that this season. And so Green Bay is going to be one of the tougher opponents they have the rest of the season. So I'm very curious to see how they do against that Packers team who – I'm also not that impressed with, but they just always manage to seem to find ways to win games. So they're, they're kind of two opponents that I think are kind of evenly matched in that regard. Cause I'm not really sure who's for real and whoever wins that game, I think will at least give me a little bit of confidence moving forward that, you know, maybe this team is a little bit more legit than I gave previously gave them credit for. 
Yeah, there's no middle ground games. There's either shit shows like Bears, Giants, Bengals, Steelers, Browns, Dolphins, Raiders, Jets, Lions, Redskins. Like there are so many shit show games that we can just bypass. But then there are so many juicy big time games. Like Sunday night we get um, Packers at Niners. Monday we get Ravens at Rams. Like Sunday afternoon we get Pats hosting the Cowboys. Like like you said, the Eagles and Seahawks. Like I am just very fascinated by all of those games. Um, the Rams have a very tough road to the playoffs, just like the Falcons thing, where it's just there's not a lot of room for air in the NFC. And yes, beating the Bears is a positive step, but if you look at their schedule and what they have to do to really run the table and get in, like they can miss the playoffs at ten and six very easily. Um, and that sucks, but I don't think the Rams, the sky is falling with them stuff has never felt genuine to me. I think um, their offensive line has regressed. Whitworth hasn't been as good as he was a year ago. Um, the Just the despair with Todd Gurley at this point is just sad. Um, losing Brandon Cooks has not been great for them. Um, I, I think injuries have just played a toll this year, and they're fine long term. I'm not really worried about the Rams. But this season in particular, I think playoffs is just not realistic. Uh, Dak's been an MVP type player and what he did yesterday was huge. Like that Gallup catch was great. Like he's just been throwing darts and I want to see what that looks like against the Pats and this defense. Like I'm really excited to see Dak against another good team on the road and what the Pats do here. Cause the Pats also have a very easy road to 15 and one, um, which is kind of crazy, but they do. Um, and then the Packers at the, at the uh, 49ers, what does Rodgers do against a good defense? I can get after the passer and hit him a little bit um i don't know i think all of those games are just extremely fascinating and and like you said the eagles have to win to even really still be in the playoff chase i think i think they have to have a statement win against the the seahawks at home and i think i would lean that way for them but um you will you'll have to see um aaron this has been great this has been a lot of fun i appreciate uh you making the time today is there anything you would like to plug before we get out of here yeah, I mean, of course, I got to plug my my podcast, the Lockdown Falcons, which is a daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. You can find it on a variety of podcast platforms. You know, giving you twenty to thirty minute uh, thoughts on you know all things Falcons each and every day, Monday through Friday. And then the other podcast I do, which is also a Falcons podcast, which is called Falcon Central Radio, and you can find that at profootballcentral.com as well as a variety of podcast platforms and that one I co-host with Matt Carley and we you know talk about the Falcons we do video breakdowns it's a great resource to find it on YouTube uh, at the Pro Football Central uh, YouTube page where we do some all 22 breakdowns uh, each week for a couple of key plays for the Falcons so definitely something that people should definitely check out uh, in, in both regards and, and find me on the airways and of course on Twitter at Falk fans, that's F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. All right, Aaron, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast, coming off an impressive fourth quarter rebound where the Auburn Tigers ensured they belong in the same category as NF, or excuse me, NFL, because that was what I just did. Uh, college football playoff contenders. There's Georgia, who lost the fourth quarter, similar to the way they lost the first half of the Auburn-Georgia game last year. Um, 
Not all wins happen at the final buzzer. Sometimes wins come in the fourth quarter, in the first half. It's really about the little things in life. Right? Not that Ryan Adams? Yeah, Bo Nix had his first win against Georgia. He did. He did. It was yeah. good. Uh, Stidham won the first half last year, so he gets half a win. Um, Bo Nix gets uh, a fourth of a win for what he did in the fourth quarter. Um, but he's a freshman, so he gets actually a little bit of a curve and a bonus point. So he's actually won a half a game against Georgia, too. You do have to appreciate that Jake Fromm taught Bo Nix Bo Nix with his 40% completion ratio, three touchdowns. It's impressive. He's regressing. I'm 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 enjoying this. Um yeah, I think you're right. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because Dwan Mathis next year. That big shoes to fill. I don't know. I think it's Stetson Mania next year. No, it's the guy from Florida. Um What's the dude's name? He he looks like Sunshine, right? Is this the blonde kid? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um Or Fromm stays for another year, which I would not rule out. God, can you imagine Fromm going four and one against Auburn? How would that make you feel? Four and one. You I do realize George this. Because he played him twice his freshman year. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Oh God. I forgot about that. We're counting the well that uh, the SC title game doesn't count. That we we exited that one out because Carrion got hurt. And we beat you badly the 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 weeks before in the they, game that mattered. Three and one, and I going three and one against Auburn. Mm. Against Gus Malzahn, no less, because he'll be there next year. Well, you know what I'm glad about is that we're doing this on a Monday afternoon, um, 48 hours removed from this. So I didn't like the energy and your persnicketiness yesterday has subsided. I think a little bit. So I I feel better that having you on this podcast now because part of our agreement was you can come on and gloat um if auburn lost to to georgia this weekend and they did and you appreciate uh, all of yesterday yeah it's gone i mean how how long do you beat up somebody you know it gets it gets old after a while and i mean 12 out of 15 years there's only so much you can do it's just how many times you beat up your little brother you know gets old after a little well, bit I don't think so because the thing is, when we win, it just we know we're going to a national title. We know we're doing something big. It's just like you don't take advantage. You're like the Braves um, during their 14 well, game like, uh, division streak, where you don't take advantage of just running the table year over year. Um, but when it's like Auburn any Georgia table, team ever, the Hawks, the Falcons, yeah. everything, just going, having good year after good year after good year, and just bowing down in the first important game every single year. That's, that's Who would you rather play in the playoff? Like, let's say Georgia runs the table and beats LSU. Who would you? What would be your dream playoff scenario? Uh, I'm going to say we go to the national championship in the scenario. Well, I'm going to play in the national championship. Would be Ohio State for sure. One hundred percent. Well, no, I'm saying from your like, if you're trying to put or you're trying to craft like the perfect scenario for Georgia to win a national championship this year, what would it have to be in the playoff? What would be the seeding for them to win? That's not happening. That's I'm not, not disagreeing happening. with that, but I'm saying if you had to do it, what would it look like? What would be the matchups they would have to get? I mean, LSU would have to be out. Georgia would have to get, like, it'd have to be chaos because Georgia would have to somehow get to, like, number two, and then some crazy team would have to go to number three, like, uh, maybe all hell breaks loose, Minnesota. I don't know. Like I, 
or Penn State. Yeah, they beat Ohio State this weekend. I don't see them beating LSU twice. I don't see them beating Ohio State. I mean, they could, but I don't see it like on a one-game basis without something crazy happening. Clemson looks just unstoppable again. I. Uh, that's about it. Like I. Same thing. Like Auburn's not beating Georgia twice in the same year, right? Like Georgia's not going to go beat LSU twice. I don't see them beating them once, much less the ultimate miracle of beating, stopping that offense twice. Well, they might have to play them in the playoff, depending on who gets seated where. Like, if LSU right. it was in a, the other game, they lost, Georgia could That's avoid them in the playoff, even if they got in. That, but that would be the top four. It'd be Clemson, Ohio State, and LSU. And I don't think they're beating – I'm saying, even if they did get LSU again, they're not beating them. I don't think they're beating Clemson, and I don't think they're beating Ohio State. So I just don't – it would have to be complete pandemonium and, like – Basically, it would have to beat Ohio State and Clemson is what would happen. Right. And, and that, I don't I, see that – being that's incredible. Like, I guess, like, the best scenario would be you get Clemson and they just have one of those games, like, they did against North Carolina or the couple games around there where they struggled uh, or they weren't as just completely dominant as they normally are, and you can only hope for that. But if they're playing like they have in the past, like, four weeks, it's just <laughs> good luck. Like, Georgia scores 20 points and Clemson puts up 50, you know, like, that's not, it's going to be every team in the playoff this, this year, and that's terrifying if you're a Georgia fan. Clemson's you, quietly beating the shit out of everybody now. Like right. they've, They're winning by 50-plus again because early this season, people were worried about, oh, they're struggling early on. Like, Is, is Clemson just something not right with them this year? Um, no, they're they're fine. Clemson is, right. uh, is, is fine. Right. I mean, and Georgia still has to get past LSU, and that, like two miracles have to happen in that game. You have to stop Joe Burrow from putting up 50 points on you, and somehow Jake Fromm has to stop throwing the ball five yards and start throwing it downfield, and you have to score more than 21 points. And that's just – you have two miracles that have to happen for that game to even win. Like, for you to have a chance, not to mention your defense probably has to put up 14 points in that scenario, which is insane in itself. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad they beat Auburn. It's fun. It's it's great to gloat. and just beat up Auburn fans, but it's it's still it's still a long road to try and get where many Georgia fans want Georgia to be. And this year it looks like it's gonna be probably the hardest. So I'm not super optimistic about it. But if Georgia gets Ohio State, that would probably be like the best scenario there is just from a, a standpoint. It'd be the best scenario for me as the Petty King right. of just Justin Fields going right. off and just ripping Kirby Smart and Jake Fromm's heart out. Just, that that would be great. I just wouldn't even be upset with that at all until he does what you're you're anticipating and he gets up and just calls out Georgia and just yeah, that would just be it the most demoralizing thing, thing. That'd be awful. It would be the most immor- that would be the most Georgia sports moment in a long Absolutely. time. Justin Fields. But winning. then conversely, just yeah. imagine Georgia beats Ohio State. And just imagine the field day that's going to come from that. Like everybody that like questioned it, including myself, like allowing Justin Fields to transfer and you beat him, like that would just silence so many people. I don't think Jake Fromm has it in, but never give that up. That would be awful for me. State, Like that would never go away. They would never take Ohio state seriously. They would never like the, um, just the confidence and the arrogance of Georgia fans after that, if right. they were to beat Ohio State, would just be unbearable 
for right. decades. Just imagine that. That's what I'm saying. That story is one way or the other, the worst thing for all of college football because either Georgia fans are going to be just miserable and that's the best thing for college football or Georgia fans win and everybody just wants to shoot themselves from just the, 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 the insane fandom. That's it'd be, it'd be miserable. I'd actually feel bad for people, especially Ohio and state. And that fans. never happens. Well, I already dislike Ohio state fans and like they're one of those, there's one of those teams, but if that happens, God, God help them. And then we play them again in like 10 years. It's just, I mean, you look at it, it would just be like a ginormous version of what Notre Dame like experiences. So like Notre Dame plays Georgia extremely close and then it's just like, oh, they don't belong. Keep them out of the playoff forever. It was like a road game there and they played them close at home. Like they're not that far apart and Georgia has a lot more talent on the field than Notre Dame and they still played them extremely close. But Georgia fans are like, get off our field. This is our house. This is what we do. And blah, blah, blah. it's like, no, extremely well twice. No, that like all you saw from, from after that game was like, like apparently Georgia fans were like super gracious, like Notre Dame. I'm not talking about like, the people like them being there. I'm saying online. I am saying oh, like, sure. the immediate aftermath was like, but, no, everybody. we run this. They don't belong in the playoff. This is what's going to happen every time they play an SEC team. They're going to get beat and blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, I'll, I'll agree that Notre Dame in any any playoff scenario is a nightmare for them as they've just gotten absolutely boat raced in every single postseason game since 1990. Um, but I, I, I do I, – I like that game. Like, it was a good game. It was surprising. I figured Georgia was going to beat them like 45 to nothing, honestly. Like, I, 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 was, I was one of those people that thought they weren't going to do anything. But, I mean – I don't know if that's a tribute to Notre Dame being good or just how anemic Georgia's offense has been this year. But if you imagine like last year's Georgia team against this year's Notre Dame team, and it wouldn't have been close. But somewhere along the lines, like whether it's Coley, whether it's Jake Fromm, whether it's Kirby Smart, like the offense is just terrifying to watch and, and infuriating at the same time. Like at least Auburn has bonex you know like you can just put it on bonex but i don't even know where you begin in this scenario whether it's like what you say where jake Fromm's too smart and he's never gonna like throw the ball downfield and you could see that you could see that against auburn like he was i don't know if it's like you know quote seeing ghosts or hearing footsteps or you know whatever it was but he drops back and gets rid of it within two seconds and he's got no pressure on him and then the next play does have pressure on him and gets ribbon two seconds. So, you know, the two biggest, like, well, the biggest play came off of a, it was further than 20-yard pass downfield, you know, his specialty, that 50-yard bomb for a touchdown. And after that, I think he got hit once and just was terrified for the rest of the game and just dinked and dived the rest of the game. And that's just horrifying to watch. Uh, uh, as much as I hate to admit it, after watching that game, I'm kind of starting to think you you might be right, and you might be on something, and it's depressing. So, not depressing for me. We well, still lost him. I mean, yeah, not great, not not the best thing. Um, what was it you laid out to me last night? The the bullshit about Gus Malzahn and how he's going to stay and what all was going to happen. So, you went on this like a minute and a half diatribe that right. I almost had a brain aneurysm. 
Right. So what's so so you know you you oh let's go smell on right. He's number like number one in the the list to get him um, in their coaching search. But you know he's got this gaudy buyout, right? Just absurd buyout. And so our uh, Auburn at this point, you know, is ready to get rid of him. All the Auburn fans are off the bandwagon. They're off the bus. And you know the worst thing possible to happen for Auburn is two against her. So Auburn's going to beat Alabama, right? Like it's just going to happen. That's like that's a Gus Malzahn thing. You're going to go beat Alabama this year. Um, but you know, so Auburn fans are on this boat. Um, all the the boosters are there too. You know, just hoping that Arkansas is going to come buy out Gus Malzahn, right? But they're not going to buy out. What is what is this buyout? I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, but they're not going to spend It's not as high as mind. Scott Frost now. It's what, $26 million? <laughs> Yeah. Um, either way, Arkansas is not going to buy it out. and But Auburn's going to flirt with this. And they're just going to keep waiting and waiting until this happens. So they're never going to make that move. And, now, and then Arkansas is going to just get tired of it and go hire a coach. And then here's Auburn stuck with Gus Malzahn and a $20, $20 million buyout, whatever it is. And you just have Gus Malzahn for the foreseeable future. And at that point, you might as well just make him a lifetime head coach. What did I say? Like a 10% increase to his pay every year. He has a winning record. Another 10% every time he beats Georgia or Alabama because you know he's going to do it randomly. Just, yeah, make everybody's dream come true and just hire Gus Malzahn for the rest of his life. I mean, that sounds awful. What is he? Like two wins against Georgia he's since he's been there? Oh, yeah, but uh, those two wins were also... Um, National championships, right? Uh, well, three, technically. He was the OC with Chizik, and then he beat him by himself with Marshall, um, and then he beat him by himself um, in the fall, and then lost him in the SEC title game. But, yeah, he's been close. He's right there. But you know that's what's going to happen. Like, Auburn's going to be stuck with Gus Malzahn next year. I really think he's going to Arkansas. I actually think he's going to go back home. I, it's, I don't think it's going to be through Arkansas paying him, though. I think it's going to be, like, Auburn just has to do that buyout. Just has to cough up an absurd amount of money to get rid of this guy, which is just incredible. Well, they do have Absolutely the incredible. They have the money. Auburn is one of the few teams that actually has the money to do that. But, uh, I just, one of them. They just did that with Willie Tiger. <laughs> See how much they paid just to get Willie Tiger out? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's awesome. Like, that's, what I was, that's what I was saying last night. Like, if I was a head coach... And you just get this gaudy buyout like contract. Like, why would you? Why would you try anymore? Like, you're you're retiring off that buyout money. Like, who cares? I wouldn't for sure. But but why are these schools agreeing to these buyouts? Like, what is the incentive? They're terrified that somebody's going to come poach them. Like, that's the only but, thing like, I can think of. I would of. rather someone poach them than have to pay them if they don't work out twenty million dollars right. for years. I would rather right. that scenario than the other. Right. I don't, I don't understand it either, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's the same thing with like any like pro athlete. They get this body contract and then they just, they want an extension or they want something else. So they just stop caring. And there's not like, there's nothing you can do outside of just like pay them their money to leave. You know, it's like, it's craziness. I don't understand it. I don't understand why teams do that, but I, I really don't understand why Auburn did that. I mean, he had like, Garbage year, garbage year, garbage year, and then he beats Georgia and Alabama, which is awesome, right? But then you just turn around and you make this incredibly rash decision to increase his pay. I don't get it, but 
I, 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 but at the same time, like, who are you getting? Oh, Lincoln Riley. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Steele getting Lincoln Riley. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really don't know who. Like, it would not surprise me. I don't think it's gonna be Kiffin. I don't think he's actually doing enough at FAU. Like, Kiffin, I think, is more realistic at Arkansas than he is at um Auburn. I think Bob Stoops is is just too old. I don't think he's going to take it. And I also think they're going to keep Kevin Steele regardless. So I think he'll just be on the the next coach's staff. So it's going to be an offensive guy. I I would. It's the worst I, job. Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel would be great. I think he'd be really good there. Um, I don't it, know. It, it, we'll have to see. But it's the worst it would job. not surprise me if someone like what? It's the worst. No, it's not. You literally are guaranteed to play three top five teams every year. Like, who do you get that like want that kind of punishment? You know, it's funny. What that I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I wouldn't be floored. I guess I'd be like, I'd raise an eyebrow, but I wouldn't be floored. Is if Willie Taggart got the Auburn job? That'd be. That would that would ruin me. That would actually hurt me. As a Georgia fan, that would actually hurt me. I don't like, even. I would not be at all surprised by something like that. How? Auburn's gonna like this is their first. If you look at their politics behind the, like it just, it would not surprise me if they go with a really weird hire. It would not surprise me at all. That's a terrible one. Yeah, if you just get ran off from Florida State and you get like put in there, that's incredible. I would not have. I would that would have never crossed my brain. But that's what that's the like the worst part. Like. Like you're not getting Matt Campbell from Iowa State. I also don't think he'd be a great fit. I don't think he's going to Auburn and dealing with that. But then again, he loved right. being in the Big 12 with those groups. Herman maybe is on the outside looking in where like Herman's just like, this Texas stuff, man. He's um, with it, yeah, I, maybe. Like Herman wouldn't surprise me if they poach him a little bit. Um, I know South Carolina fans are still waiting on Herman <laughs> to uh, come into Columbia, but right. I think they're stuck with Muschamp for a little bit longer. Or Justin um, Fuente. Worst case scenario is like Mark Stoops. Where I just, like he's winning at Kentucky. Why can't he win at uh, Auburn? That scares me. Right. Well, I mean, I'll be objective as objective as I can in this scenario. Like Auburn, realistically, would be a good job. Like in any scenario, outside of the fact that you somehow have the luck of literally playing Alabama, LSU, and Georgia every single year and like what coach just wants that life. I mean, you have good recruiting, you know, you're in a good spot for recruiting. Like you got uh, apparently just never ending pockets from boosters. You're in a great conference. You're, you're getting great television. You're getting, you got, you know, national championships randomly and thrown in between two and 12 years everywhere. I just don't know what coach wants to deal with that. I wouldn't. I, I, I don't think Mark Stoops is going to leave Kentucky where he gets to play Vanderbilt every year, like to go play Georgia, LSU, and Alabama every year. I don't know. Uh, it's miserable. But I don't I don't know if you do fire Gus Malzahn where you're going. I mean, maybe Tom – yeah, Tom Herman, maybe just because he's – you know, he's probably going to be miserable at Texas at this point. Um. I don't think Lane Kiffin's going back to the SEC. I don't think anybody would do I that. I think he is. I just don't think it's going to be for the job that people think. I think it, it's going to be one of the lower power five. It would be. Like, it would have Vanderbilt to be. Vanderbilt wouldn't even surprise me. Right. I was going to say, maybe Vandy, maybe Ole Miss, 
maybe Arkansas yeah. randomly, maybe a Mississippi State randomly, but like anything outside Ole of that. Ole Miss needs to just back up the Brinks truck to um, Clay Helton. Like once he gets let go, that dude's from the area. Like that's what I was thinking. South, yeah. he's coaching. Like just he's winning enough. Like what he's doing at USC would be just perfect for Ole Miss. Like they would love that kind of USC win status. Like that, I I would just focus on Clay Helton if I'm Ole Miss. Right. Uh, that's that would be a good one. Maybe Auburn should go get Mike Bobo after he gets run out of Colorado. Okay. No, he's winning a lot now. No, he's not. He hasn't beat a single one of his. They've won like four or five. Right? They haven't. They haven't beaten a single one of their rivals since he's been there. Mm. Yeah, like I, I just maybe we'll go get Mel Tucker. God. I would hate that. I like him so much. I'd be so upset if y'all got him, honestly. But that'd be a nightmare. Like Mel Tucker and Kevin Steele, that'd be great. I don't want to. But then you got Brian Harson. Then you got Dilly 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 still. No, he'd be um, I would Brian Harson's like the wild card that I'd be very fascinated by. There's a bunch of good. There's a bunch of like young. That, that's the thing. It would have to be a young coach. Like it would have to be a coach that's growing his brand, growing his name. That's that's the only thing that I could see Auburn doing or getting getting like this young guy that's just starting to come out. That's not afraid to go. Well, have you seen what that young gun has been doing at Liberty? Hugh Freeze, trying to bring him back. <laughs> oh god! Oh, he's gonna do it from his the the hospital bed. Like that magic. <laughs> that guy's a maniac. I'm yeah. joking, but like, if I had to rank like top ten most likely, like just not my opinion, but just like most likely to get the Auburn job or get a serious look, Hugh Freeze is in that top ten list. I just don't even know how you could do that. Like. Death penalty is back in the SEC. Like that's happening. He's oh, getting back. All the people I, care about is winning. He the, he's already the, winning at Liberty. The death penalty. Just don't see. It. I don't know. He's, that's the same as like Lane Kiffin. Like I just don't see it happening after like the insanity that was Lane Kiffin. Like you you go back and you look at that story and he was an absolute animal, but the way he just laughed, like no SEC school outside of like those ones we just mentioned are going to take that risk that $20 million buyout risk, you know, on a Hugh Freeze either. Like, especially when you said, come like bring the death penalty to your door. Like, uh, I don't, I don't know. It's Auburn's Auburn literally has the worst luck there is. I was actually reading today about uh, Jimbo Fisher and his idea of pods in the SEC. And somehow again, like Auburn is just in the worst, gets, <laughs> gets the worst of it. Like just, Georgia, you know, Georgia's like Georgia, a, LSU, and Alabama, Alabama pod. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're just like, what? <laughs> okay. Oh my God. Um, and then Georgia's got like Auburn, Florida, and South Carolina, or maybe Tennessee, probably South Carolina. But then you have like Tennessee that has just this, what is it, Alabama and Vanderbilt, or Kentucky's got like South Carolina and Vanderbilt. It's like that pod is unstoppable. Like, one of the champions is coming from there every year. I don't know. Uh, the, I read that, and it's just still, like, Auburn fans are still just like, why can we not just be not screwed every single year in any kind of format? It's the worst. I actually kind of do feel bad. Like, Georgia, LSU, just, Alabama, every single year is incredible. It would suck a lot more if they weren't winning a national title every decade. I guess. I don't know. I, I don't. 
I, yeah, I mean, I guess that like it, knowing it, you're going to go on one run every three to four years, where it's just like everything's going to go your way. Hmm. It's not three to four years. Relax. I mean, it would Stidham, Marshall, Newton, Campbell. Yeah, it's every like half a decade they go on a little run. Yeah, I mean that's fine. okay. Yeah, fair, maybe, sure, but like, I oh, guess, got it. Chip Kelly, come on home. Get out that, of UCLA. That it's would time. actually be like my biggest nightmare, honestly. Like honestly, like honest, like if you go to Gus Malzahn when he first got there, like I hated, I hated Gus Malzahn when he first got there because he was the most unpredictable person I've ever seen in my life. And as an offensive-minded person, that's what you have to be, right? Like you have to be just like so wildly unpredictable that no one's ever going to be able to prepare for you. And that was what Gus Malzahn was for, I don't know, three or four years. And then he became like predictable Gus Malzahn. And he would poach one of Georgia's players that we kicked off the field, like kicked off a team or, you know, a Florida player that kicked off a team and just go on some crazy run. He never does it with his players. He always does it with somebody else's players, but he just became predictable. And that's why you're like, I think Auburn has to have some crazy wild card like Chip Kelly. That's just going to, Who's so burnt out, he just doesn't even care anymore. He's just gonna be like, screw it. We're, this is the game plan. And players are just like, what is going on? And it works. I don't know. That would be my biggest nightmare. Like, There's things that make sense, like Tennessee getting Jeremy Pruitt just didn't make sense to me. Like Tennessee being defensive-minded for me just doesn't make sense. That's one of those teams that has to be like high-flying offense, just pure chaos. That would be what makes sense for me. But like, Auburn not being some crazy, psychotic, random offense would just be not Auburn, and that'd be disappointing to me. So I hope they would get something like Chip, Chip Kelly. That'd be great. I mean, if they got Lincoln Riley, which they won't, that'd be fantastic because Georgia doesn't lose to Lincoln Riley. So that'd be great, too. You know, Lincoln Riley's going to blow the game plan at the end of the game anyways, so I'd be fine with that. All right, so it's settled. Lincoln Riley, next coach of Auburn. You love to see it, folks. Um, not that Ryan Adams. Thank you for the time. Is there anything you would like to? Any last words before you get out of here? Bo Nix over four. That's all I'm gonna say. That's that's what he's finishing. The prodigy. Okay. That that. Yeah. Gotta love it. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.